Welcome to The Barrel Banter. I'm your host, David Go, joined by a special guest today, a second-time guest, David Gasper. He joined us, I think it was the day after the Brewers trade deadline last year when they traded Hayter. They traded for Trevor Rosenthal. We had quite an entertaining conversation with him last time, and I'll link that that uh, episode in the show notes. He is the editor-in-chief of Reviewing the Brew, the popular Brewers blog, the host of the Cold Brew podcast, host of Sports on Deck on iHeartRadio and 1310 WIBA, and the resident Brewers expert at Prospects 1500. David, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, having me on. I do want to spend a lot of our time today talking about the draft. Uh, We saw it uh, last week, kind of, I think it was almost, maybe not lost, but it gets a little bit subdued in the midst of all the uh, all-star festivities. I guess maybe start with that. How how do you feel about them having the draft when the all-star game is instead of the traditional spot? Do you think the old spot was better? Do you think there's a a good in-between to be found there? I mean, I think there was a, a good in between. I, I think it's good that, that it was moved from just kind of like the middle of the week and the beginning of June. It, it was just kind of a no one really thought of it as an event, and th- this way they can still get some attention to it uh, with with the draft with with All Star Weekend. I think it's you know a little late. I would like to see it like a little bit earlier, um, but it, this way you can have the the college season is all wrapped up. Uh, you no longer have, hey, we drafted this guy and he's still currently playing for his college team and <laughs> mm-hmm. risk of injuries, things like that. So I think right. it's good that, that we've avoided that. I really would have liked to have seen what they would have done in 2020. because they, they planned to move it to like the night before the College World Series got started. Like, like they would have the first mm-hmm. round like that night and just kind of go through those three days at the beginning of the College World Series. And then um, obviously with, 2020 getting completely upended then after that they've gone to the all-star break i I would have liked to have seen how that would have gone uh you Mm -hmm. know they were going to have the draft in omaha it was the first time it was going to be away from mlb network studios so i feel like that would have been good but i think it's definitely good for the draft just kind of having it where there's more eyes on it and they've been growing it here a little bit it's still in the process and still not going to be anywhere close to the nfl draft but Mm -hmm. i think it's as good a spot as as they can find really mm-hmm. I think they do well by making it later than NBA and NHL especially NBA you're never going to really be able to compete with that considering the players are going straight from the, the kind of the prime college audience and then straight to the NBA uh, but there's still there's definitely more excitement around the draft now and I'm I'm kind of with you I, I wanted to see what it would have been like if they had it in Omaha and especially with the the injury risk when they had it earlier with the way college coaches manage their pitching. Sometimes you saw that lefty from Stanford go out for, was it like 150 pitches? Um, yeah. and things have even improved over the last decade, decade plus. We saw Drew Rasmussen kind of blow out his elbow a second time because of his, uh, his coach at Oregon state. And that's what led him to fall to fall to the Brewers after not signing with the Rays. Uh, but we'll go ahead and move to, some of the Brewers prospects that are currently in the organization. There's been a lot of talk around the Brewers farm system lately. They're, for one, their their farm system is better than it has been in recent years. I picked up a, a copy of the 2020 prospect handbook, and the Brewers were ranked last out of the 30 organizations. Their number two prospect was Tristan Lutz at the time, and really just not a whole lot there in terms of their farm system and, and the guys they had in the organization. 
Uh, there are a lot more right now, and I think a lot on the precipice of the majors. We hear about Sal Freelick all the time. We hear about now starting more to hear about Tyler Black. Uh, one guy that was just called up, Abner Uribe. Uh, I wanted to touch on him a little bit first. He's he's one of the bigger relief prospects you'll get. It's always hard to be a, a big-time relief prospect, but he throws 102. We saw him, him do that in the Brewers-Phillies game yesterday. He's got that wipeout breaking ball. What do you think are reasonable expectations for Abner Uribe in the second half of this year? I think for Uribe, it's just getting him comfortable at the big league level. And I think they're going to try to start with some low leverage situations and just getting his feet wet and getting him experienced. And we saw um, when, when Devin Williams was warming up against the Reds that Uribe was just kind of standing there watching him do his do his warm-up routine and just kind of keeping an eye on it because he's got eyes on, on being a closer one day and he's got that kind of stuff. Um, that, that could certainly be his potential, a high-leverage, late-inning kind of guy. I don't know if we'll see that yet this year. We, we might see it on occasion if, if Yoel Piamps or Elvis Peguero uh, is down for a certain day. Craig Council doesn't want to use them. Then maybe we could see Uribe in, in those high-leverage situations and, and getting used to it. But uh, I, I think for now we're going to see him kind of float around. They're, they're going to be selective in, in how they use him. Um, and just kind of finding good opportunities for him to to build confidence and, and build success at the big league level. So we'll I think we'll see him bounce around. I don't envision him going back down the rest of the year unless he just starts not performing very well. Uh, but with, with his kind of stuff, I think as long as he doesn't have too many issues with command, he should be just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we saw flashes of that already as soon as, you know, his second outing um, in Philadelphia. And one of the storylines with the bullpen has been they only have one lefty. They've got Hobie Milner, who's really done an excellent job so far this year. But they've had mostly in that kind of that what you'd normally have as the second lefty spot. They've had typically righties. If not, Ethan Small has seen a little bit of time. Uh, they had uh, Bennett Souza come up, who's who's currently on the IL is that that kind of that second spot for a lefty do you think that's something that the Brewers have in either Justin Wilson or Aaron Ashby coming back from injury over the next few weeks do you think that's somewhere where they should just let Ethan Small take that spot is Robert Gasser the answer in that in that spot or should the Brewers seek outside help to bring in a lefty rather than rely on one of the guys coming back from injuries or or one of the the prospects I don't Small is kind of borderline prospect at this point uh, but one of the younger guys without big league experience. Yeah, I think the Brewers are, are kind of getting over the the Ethan Small experience. I mean, they, they called him up uh, once and gave him one opportunity, and it did not go well, and they sent him back down, and we haven't seen him since. Um, and they've rotated through a series of other left-handed options, just not calling back upon Ethan Small. So I really don't think there's much confidence there with, with the Brewers and Small. Uh, Justin Wilson, I think, is going to be the guy that, that they're going to try to have as the answer for that second lefty out of the bullpen. He's on a rehab assignment right now, and he's doing pretty well uh, down there in AAA Nashville. So I think they're going to give him his opportunity to, to build back up, and I think they're going to call upon him fairly soon here because uh, I think he's running out of time on his, on his rehab assignment. But I think they're going to be calling upon Justin Wilson to be that second lefty and seeing what he can do. And 
you know what when they signed him in, in spring i mean th- this was real, always really kind of the the plan they knew he'd be ready right around the time of the trade deadline they already got their their bullpen acquisition mm-hmm. lined up and there's really not going to be too much time but by the time wilson gets back for the brewers to determine if he's going to be it or not and, and if they need to go get somebody else but based on the brewers recent history of reliever trades the past couple of years I'd almost be more inclined to stick with Justin Wilson than whoever it is they can mm-hmm. find on the market because the guys that they have gotten have just not been good these last couple of years. Just each and every single time. Matt Bush was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Trevor Rosenthal didn't even pitch. Taylor Rogers gave up a whole bunch of homers, and it just it hasn't been good. Daniel Norris was a horrible trade. Uh, it, it, that's just kind of been been par for the course for the Brewers lately at, at the deadline. They get a reliever, and he just does not live up to expectations. So I'd rather them ride it out with Justin Wilson and, and just see what he can do. Mm-hmm. They had that Drew Pomeranz trade in 2019, and that one, of course, worked out well. That I feel good, like that almost but, set them back. Yeah. yeah, it almost set them back a few years where it took them like three years to uh, three tra- trade deadlines to get over the fact that they – took that one bad starter and made him into a good reliever. They got a little too creative uh, with yeah, the, the Bush, very with significant uh, Norris. Drew Pomeranz trade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think one reason why I'd be a little bit more okay with, with kind of handing that spot to Wilson would be that they do have some options. Gasser's, at least I heard today that he's leading the International League in strikeouts. He seems like he could be a viable bullpen option should someone get hurt. Trevor McGill, not my favorite pitcher, but if he's the last guy on your staff, you can live with that. Um, but one hypothetical, because I know fans are are clamoring. He's the uh, he's the the pitching the pitching prospect. That's that's the guy that's being talked about. Really, I would say around the league, he was the talk of the futures game. We get to late August or maybe early September. The Brewers have one or two relievers go down with an injury. Is there any possibility that Jacob Mizorowski could be in a Brewers uniform by the end of this season? I think it's I think it's possible. I, th- I think it's a fairly slim possibility. Um, but the Brewers have been pretty aggressive with him, and he's dominated everywhere he's gone so far. But the leap from high A to double A is the largest leap in mm-hmm. in all of baseball. We've we've seen Brewers guys and everyone across the league talk about that multiple times how hard that jump is. So we'll see what happens when uh, he gets to double A and when we get his first starts and first appearances out there. I would guess if the Brewers are going to convert him to being a bullpen arm to to plan to use him this year, they would try to convert him to the bullpen starting fairly soon, I would guess, because it's so different coming out of the bullpen versus – being a starter and mm-hmm. just your your prep work, your routine to, to get ready, get hot for the game. So we, we've seen that in years past where kind of about a month or so before they're like, hey, you could really help us out. We're going to convert you to the bullpen so we could see you up here in about a month. Um, we haven't seen that happen yet with, with Mizrowski. He's got the talent that I, that I think that he could, uh, but the Brewers can, you know, they, they can afford to wait. They don't have to rush him. Uh, especially with how their current bullpen guys have been performing. Piams, Peguero, mm-hmm. uh, Uribe, Milner. Um, you know, really overall, they, they've, they've been getting really good work. And if Justin Wilson comes in and, and performs as well as, as we've been talking about, they may not need 
uh, Mizrowski immediately, but having him in the back pocket is something that that's always good to have in case either injuries pop up or, or some guys just, just start to lose it towards the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about it last week uh, when they, or maybe it was earlier this week when they called him up to double a about, you know, maybe in the bullpen. But then as I was thinking about the guys who were maybe ahead of him on the depth chart, there's, yeah, there's Wilson, there's Ashby who it seems like Ashby will be back at some point during the regular season. I was like, well, I guess I don't really know if there's a spot for Mizorowski uh, barring a, an injury, which, um, you know, of course happens, but it does seem like the bullpen for the last couple months, we haven't really acted like the bullpen is a big strength of the team, but it really is. And they just aren't big names. We don't have uh, Boxberger to Williams to Hader, uh, but Piguero, Piamps, Williams has been about as good of a combination, arguably even better than last year with the way that Hader pitched in, in June and July before the trade. On the offensive side of things, is there anyone we could see, any prospect we could see making an impact? Freelich's not playing well in AAA, but there's still some talk that maybe if he gets hot, he could be called up to provide an offensive boost. Tyler Black has a 427 OBP in AA right now. He plays could play second or third where they're looking for offense. Do you think either of those guys or, or any of the other offensive prospects could be options uh, in, in late season 2023? I think they could. I think it's it's going to depend once again on, on injuries and how things pop up. I mean, Sal Freelich, as soon as Freelich gets hot, I think the Brewers are going to call him up and see what he can do. But there's no reason to do it right now while he's hitting 210 uh, down there mm-hmm. in Nashville. So as soon as he gets hot, then I think we'll see him uh, come on up to Milwaukee. Uh, and until then, you know, I mean, we still could see Tyler Black or or Jackson Churio, or any of those guys in double-A. I mean, last year, the Brewers had their their three big outfielders, Weimer and Mitchell and, and Freelich, down in double-A until the trade deadline, until till the beginning of August. And then they moved all three of those guys up to Nashville at once. And then an injury popped up. You know, Jonathan Davis gets gets hurt, and they need a guy. And that's where they call upon Garrett Mitchell uh, there late in the year. So... You know, it could happen. Uh, I could, I could definitely see it with, with one of those guys. I don't know if if they'll go with Churio. Churio's been hitting the ball extremely well lately. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe he, maybe he ends up getting that Triple A promotion here, beginning of August, kind of around that same time. And once he gets up there, it's just a matter of of a spot opening up. And you know, we could see it. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to guarantee it. I'm not going to bet any money on it. But uh, it's, it's certainly not out of the the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. The Brewers always do it where like it took a Jonathan Davis injury to call up a top prospect. I feel like this year it's going to take a Tyrone Taylor injury or a Blake Perkins or or Jemai Jones or one of those players where you're like, really, that was the reason that we weren't we weren't calling up our top prospect. It's always someone someone random that you forget about within a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's shift over to the draft. The Brewers, I think, seemingly had a pretty good draft. Uh, they went a little bit different, especially in the early rounds and what we've seen them do. Uh, in, they didn't take a, a toolsy, contact-oriented, up-the-middle position player like they have in recent years. We saw them take Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelich, Eric Brown Jr. fit that profile as well. They went with Brock Wilkin, a third baseman, big power hitter out of Wake Forest. Uh, to start out, I guess, what kind of player is Brock Wilkin? Do you think he was a reach at number 18 overall? Most mocks had him a little bit after the Brewers at number 18. 
how would you assess that pick overall? Yeah, I was a little surprised by it, uh, just with what, what the Brewers have done historically. You know, choosing up the middle, contact over power type of type of hitters, and you know, really as the draft unfolded, and we saw there in, in the in the teens, all of those guys got picked. All of the college bats that were up the middle, the the shortstops, the center fielders, the contact over power guys, they all got picked right before the Brewers. They they were taken right off the board. So the Brewers were really left with a couple of third base options. Uh, Braden Taylor out of TCU was another one that, that I thought they might go with just because that hit tool is a little bit better. But it is incredible raw power out of Brock Wilkin. He's he's a type of player that there really isn't much of in the Brewer system. He he's a pure corner guy. He is a he's a pure power bat. You know, just big six foot four, hulking right handed slugger. Um, that, that can hit 30, 40 bombs a season. There, there's no one like that in, in the Brewers system. So it, it, I think it's good. I think it fills a need. Uh, it, it addresses a, a deficiency in the organization. And it's it's different. And the term reach in the, in the MLB draft is a little different than uh, the NFL or anywhere else because it's about the slot money. It's about the bonus pool. And the Brewers signed him for well under slot, about eight hundred some thousand dollars under slot. Um, so it was a, a bit of a reach, uh, but I think it was also intentional. I think the Brewers knew it was a reach. They, they were getting him to to take less money, uh, and that way they can use those savings on their later picks on, on the high upside guys that they're taking later. So I, I think initially in the moment, I'm like, this is a, this is a bit of a reach. But when, when the whole draft class unfolds, you end up kind of seeing the, the bigger picture and you see, okay, th- this was intentional. This was to save money so that they can get these guys later on and, and sign them to deals. And uh, they, they, did, they did that last year with Eric Brown. He was a reach in the first round and they used the savings there to sign Jacob Mizorowski. And Mizorowski ends up being the stud of the class. So you know, I, I think I think it was a really good pick. I, I think it fills a need in the organization. It allowed them to get some some bigger high upside guys later on, and I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for a team that needs some right-handed power bats. Do you think they drafted on need in this case, or do you think it was it was that the best player available or among the best players available within their their strategies towards the the bonus pools that they were allotted lined up with an organizational need? I think it was, you know, best player available kind of thing on their board. I mean, the Brewers have talked about how he had the best power in the draft, and that's something that really stuck out stuck out to them. Although it hasn't historically been something that, that they've targeted, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of those top up-the-middle guys just ended up getting drafted, and there there weren't any there on the board uh, for for them that, that made sense. So, you know, I think you could argue that, that he was certainly one of the top players on the board, uh, you know, I, I still really like Braden Taylor. And of course he goes one pick later. I liked Hurston Waldrip. Uh, the Brewers have not really wanted to go pitching in the first round a lot lately, but you know, I, I think it's, it's something where the Brewers can look at like, look, this guy's got the best power on the board right now. And we need that in our system. It, it, it's not a matter of drafting for need, but when the needs line up with, best player available. I think that also may be a bit of a, a bit of a tiebreaker 
um, in terms of what they're mm -hmm. looking for. Plus, Braden Taylor is another left-handed hitter, and the Brewers have a bunch of those already in the system. So being able to get a right-handed hitter with, with that kind of power, I think that's something that, that also stuck out, stuck out to Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. As far as a, a player comp, I don't know if this – like he's a right-handed hitter, and, and the swing, I don't think the swing necessarily lines up. But as far as the skill set – is this the kind of player where his his major league peak is maybe similar to Travis Shaw, uh, or is there some other player you have in mind as far as maybe a good comp for uh, for Brock Wilkin? I think Travis Shaw is pretty pretty solid uh, for a comp. Um, uh, you know, I, I think he's someone that maybe would end up with a little bit more home run power. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not the greatest with comps. Uh, I don't have any like names <laughs> popping in the top of my head, um, mm -hmm. but you know, tr maybe Shaw with a little bit more power. Uh, I think that's something, and more like peak Travis Shaw, not the one towards the end that, that made everyone hate him for mm -hmm. some reason. Like 2017, well, yeah, Travis Shaw uh, went when he was good, um, but yeah, I mean that it's 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 a right-handed corner corner power bats that that we haven't seen in a while. Um, you know, Aramis Ramirez, you know, comes to mind. I don't know if he's going to hit as well as Aramis Ramirez did, uh, but that was also kind of a, a different era. But yeah, it's 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 forty bombs a year from from the hot corner, probably. And, you know, maybe hitting two fifty or so at, at at his best. Mm -hmm. And then with their second pick, they had a pick in the sandwich round between the first and second rounds. Officially qualifies. As a first round pick, uh, there were a lot of people in my comments about that stat zero, the last 25 first round picks, not being sure exactly what constitutes a first round pick. But Josh Noth, a high school pitcher, he is officially a first round pick, uh, picked in the 30s. The draft kind of reminded me of a Bruce Side draft. He was a Brewer scouting director about up until about 10 years ago. Think back to Cody Medeiros, Jake Gatewood, Monte Harrison, all in the same draft. High school pitchers, big power. Now, I think Wilkin, there's a pretty good case to be made that he's a better player, better hitter than Jake Gatewood, than Monte Harrison, at different profile, certainly. But um, but that kind of reminded me of that because the Brewers haven't targeted high school pitchers early. They haven't targeted uh, big power bats. So why did the Brewers choose to pivot, uh, not only with Wilkin, but also with, with Josh Noth at 30, I'm forgetting the exact pick, number 33. 33. Um, he's... With with high school pitching, you never know exactly what you're going to get. It's the uh, the riskiest type of pick you can make, especially in the first round. So what did the Brewers like about Noth, and, and what are we looking at in terms of a prospect and eventually, hopefully, a major league pitcher? Yeah, so I was very surprised by, by the high school pitching demographic as well. I mean, that's something that they've been allergic to for a while. Uh, just, just kind of all around. So I, I was very surprised. I didn't even look much into the high school pitchers in this year's class because I, I just figured there's no way they're going that route. Um, but what stands out to him is is the the analytics on his pitches. Uh, that's that that that's the thing that the Brewers love when it comes to any pitchers. It, it's the pitch data, the spin rates, uh, the the carry, the the metrics, the induced vertical break, all the all the nerdy terms the 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 analytics terms uh that you can use and that's what josh noth is is really good at i mean he he's got great spin rates 3000 plus rpm curveball uh can spin 98 miles an hour uh from the mound 
So those are really kind of the things, the, the pitch metrics that the Brewers just absolutely fell in love with. Um, and, and getting him there at 33, it, it definitely also seemed that one was a little early. The Brewers go under slot there as well with, with Noth, saving more, mon- saving more money again for these later picks because there were other high school arms that were, that were there on the board. There was Charlie Soto, there was Thomas White, guys who are much higher rated uh, high school pitchers. Um, if, if the Brewers wanted to go that route, and those guys were a bit taller as well. Uh, but but the the pitch shapes, the the pitch metrics, the spin rates, all that stuff was was so much better with Noth and and the Brewers feel that they're going to be getting a guy who's a, a little bit similar to to Mizorowski and the fact that his pure stuff is just that good with, with his fastball, with, with his breaking ball, um, and how it can just get on hitters and, and it's just completely nasty. And the Brewers feel that they can that, that that they are very good at developing that kind of stuff, and that's the kind of guy that that they are targeting in drafts. And they, they saw an opportunity to get him there at, at thirty three, and they took it. Mm-hmm. And he's also seventeen, so I know the Brewers are one of the more yeah. model heavy teams. Which, uh, for our listeners, uh, typically teams will have models based on age and talent and stats if they're a college player. And the younger you are, the the better you'll appear on the model. Because if you think about an 18-year-old that's throwing 96, 97, it's a lot more attractive than a 21-year-old throwing 96, 97, who's probably a little bit more filled out physically and one who's had more time to develop. So perhaps Noth fits that a little bit with being just 17. Think back to the Brewers acquiring Freddie Peralta when he was 19. He was a, a, a smaller right-handed pitcher, similar to Noth. I in terms of skill set, I'm not saying that Noth is is a good comparison to Freddie Peralta, but the Brewers were able to take that that skill set that Peralta had at a young age, and um, Noth being younger than even most of the high schoolers in his class uh, could be someone that they have a little bit more time to develop. If you think about trying to get him to the big leagues at 21 or 22, that's a good four or five years of of development time you have for him, assuming he stays healthy. Yeah, and the comp that we've seen on him the most is Lance McCullers Jr. And if the Brewers get a mm-hmm. Lance McCullers Jr. type of career out of out of Noth, that that's an incredible pick uh, for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be a while. Um, and and as we've seen before, pitching development isn't always linear. Uh, so it, it could end up being a while before we see him in Milwaukee. But the upside here is is really high. Mm-hmm. And then their second round pick, their third pick overall, Mike Bovey. Uh, this one will go quicker through. Uh, he seemed very much to fit the mold of the Brewers' picks in, in recent memory. Uh, maybe He is a third baseman, uh, so that part, not as much of an up-the-middle player, but really high contact, low strikeout rate. Um, is this a pick where the Brewers really just wanted to save money, took a, a player that probably showed up well on their model because of the good contact rates? Are we looking at an Owen Miller type player? That's that's the first guy that came to mind uh, for me when I saw his 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 profile as a draft pick. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's certainly someone that that may be a bit of a lower ceiling uh, type of guy, but it, it kind of fits a bit more with their uh, contact over power and and just kind of balancing things out with with Wilkin because Wilkin isn't typically the, their type of guy. It's, it's power over hit. There's questions about if he's going to be able to hit enough. With Bovey, it's the, the hit tool is real, and there's questions about whether he's going to be able to hit into enough power. 
to be at a corner guy. When, when I saw his offensive profile, I thought he was a second baseman or something. Uh, but uh, they're saying he's a mm-hmm. corner infielder. And, and if he's going to stay on the corners, he's going to need to develop more power. If he's going to be an everyday guy uh, at third base or, or at first base. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all right. It, it's another money saver. He came in under slot as well. Uh, so the, the Brewers are just kind of going that way, but, but he fits their, their model fits their mold of, of college guys contact over, over power. And, you know, hopefully, uh, they, they can just have him run into enough hard contact and, and run into enough power that, uh, he can be, be useful there at the corner without having to, to sacrifice his batting average too much. Mm-hmm. The two players, I, I guess, that have been kind of subtly coming up in conversation and I think have been probably discussed the most in, in the national circles looking at the Brewers picks have been the two high school infielders, Eric Batanti and Cooper Pratt. Uh, Batanti's out of California and Pratt out of Mississippi. Uh, they took Batanti in the third round and he was expected to go first two rounds. He was picked a little bit lower than expected. Pratt was expected to go also first two or three rounds and fell to the sixth. But usually you don't see teams pick guys in the first 10 rounds that they don't expect to sign. So they went under slot on these other guys. Uh, tell us a little bit about who Eric Batanti and Cooper Pratt are as players uh, and also the likelihood of the Brewers being able to sign the two shortstops that they picked, uh, the, the high school shortstops they picked that were maybe the maybe among the steals of the draft. Yeah, the Brewers are going to be able to sign both these guys uh, with all the slot savings that they have and where the Brewers took them, they are going to sign him. They, they, if they didn't feel they could sign him, they would not have taken him in the, in the top 10 rounds here. Uh, they're going to have to go over slot with them. They, they haven't gone over slot with any of their current signed picks so far. Uh, we're still awaiting the signing bonus info for Batanti and Pratt, but uh, Pratt is is really kind of, a, I think, the big one in, in this class coming out of the sixth round. Uh, great hit tool, great contact skills, uh, great strike zone discipline, does not strike out much at all, uh, does not whiff in the zone, and he, he's got some pretty easy raw power as well uh, that, that he can tap into. He lifts the ball well, he hits the ball hard, and that, that's a great recipe for success. He's got the ability to stick at shortstop long-term as well defensively, uh, so that's a, another big thing uh, in his profile, you know, especially being at six foot four, he, he's on the larger side and, and being able to stay there at shortstop. What we've seen in the division, I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, you got a couple of six, seven guys in, in the division and O'Neill Cruz and, and Ellie De, De La Cruz uh, sticking at shortstop for the Pirates and Reds. So, you know, having some bigger guys that, that are able to, to stick at short. Uh, especially with his type of ability to hit for average and hit for some power uh, and, and his speed. It, it's just really a, a great tool package there that, that the Brewers love. Uh, and, and I think it was a fantastic pick and it really kind of made this whole draft class come together. But Tanti, there, there's a few more questions about, about the hit tool. It didn't have the greatest summer uh, or greatest spring leading into the draft, which pushed him down maybe a little bit uh, on the draft boards, but He's got a ton of power as well, a ton of pop, um, the, the ability to hit it out to all fields. And uh, I think the Brewers said that they're going to be sending him out as a third baseman uh, to start. So they're already moving him to the hot corner uh, and they're keeping Pratt at shortstop. 
but just, I mean, it, it is it is plus raw power uh, with Eric Batanti, and he's someone that uh, is going to, to hit a lot of home runs going forward. So, you know, a couple of very high upside guys. I mean, they, these are guys that if they reach their ceilings, I mean, they're all stars um, if, if they're able to, to hit it. So, I mean, these are the guys that, that the draft classes I think is really going to end up hinging on. Yes, the, the top picks were were Wilkin and, and Nath and, and Bovey, but uh, they this was all really kind of planned around getting Batanti and getting Pratt and swinging for high upside guys, which we haven't seen the Brewers do a lot of in recent years. It's it's been a lot of safe picks, high floor, low ceiling type guys, uh, but this year they went for for the high ceiling guys, the the riskier guys, the ones with. Lots of upside to, to bring some more talent and some different kinds of talent into the system. Yeah, and kind of similar to Noth, uh, Batanti is also just 17 right now. He was born actually in November of 05. Uh, I believe he shares a birthday with Ryan Braun, coincidentally November 17th. Uh, but he, yeah, I know. Yeah, my class, I just finished my junior year of college. So the people, the the the, high, the college juniors are the ones that are my age. But now yeah, I'm seeing 05 and 06. And, you know, uh, what was it? Ethan Salas, the Padres catcher, yeah, uh, catching yeah, prospect. Year old. He's, yeah, uh, it's, it is, it is weird for me. And I'm sure it only gets a little bit more, more strange as you, as you get older and, and you see the players uh, coming up and, even I remember my dad talking about one time that now the Hall of Famers are are younger than him. <laughs> yeah. So I can only imagine what it's like. Uh, at the looking at the Brewers, twenty one picks in, in total. Every single one of them was either a pitcher or an infielder on the the left side of the diamond. So either shortstop or third base. Was that a? Do you think that was a concentrated effort? It wasn't as extreme as the Angels taking all pitchers a couple years ago. Uh, but they went, I think, about 15 pitchers and then a couple infielders on top of that. Is that something where the Brewers wanted to get more pitching depth in the organization? You always you always want more pitching depth, but uh, was that something where they just, just kind of fell that way? Uh, do you think there's really anything to read into behind that? Or maybe does that even reflect their confidence in being able to develop pitching better than hitting? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of that. And I think it's also part of, uh, you know, Todd Johnson talked about this a bit after the draft. And, uh, you know, the, just with the restrictions that teams now have on the amount of minor leaguers uh, that they can have, there's a lot fewer spots for, for position players and, and, and a lot fewer spots overall. So the Brewers took so many high school guys there on day three, knowing that they were not going to be able to sign them all. And they had no intention of, of signing all of them. So I, I think they, they, they took some guys that they liked uh, in the hopes that they'd have some money left over that they could throw at a couple of them uh, and try to get them to sign who, who's got the characteristics that they like, uh, being able to add another pitcher or two to the organization. I think that's kind of the direction that they were looking for on day three, uh, just, just kind of swinging for some upside and, hey, maybe we got some money left, we can, we can sign them. But... Yeah, I, I think there was a, a bit of a focus on on pitching. You can never have enough pitching depth. Um, they, they do have the strength in developing it, but uh, I think also playing a, a big factor in this is, is the restrictions on how many players you can have in the minor league system, the, the loss of your your rookie ball affiliate, the the Rocky Mountain vibes. The, the Brewers are down to just mm -hmm. one Arizona Complex team now instead of two. 
So I, I think that those are things that are playing a, a big factor in that decision and, and just kind of how they've gone about it. So, you know, they, they'll try to swing for, for a couple of those guys there on day three and, and maybe nab one or two of, of the high school guys, depending on how much money is left over from signing Pratt and, and Batanti. Yeah, I saw that their 17th rounder, Jacob Golston, already announced on social media that he'll be going to Oklahoma, not planning to sign mm -hmm. with the Brewers. Uh, the only other late rounder that was ranked inside of MLB.com's top 250 was Bishop Letson, a right-hander out of Floyd Central High School in Indiana. Uh, I haven't heard anything on him yet. Uh, when we look at the rest of the draft class, is there anyone outside of the guys we've discussed so far that stands out to you as maybe a sleeper pick. Uh, Ryan Burchardi was a, a Juco right-handed pitcher that the Brewers selected in the fifth round. They've had success with Ashby, with Jacob Mizorowski, a couple Juco guys. They took some some fourth and fifth year seniors that maybe, you know, maybe they fly under the radar, become the next Brent Suter type of arm. Is there, is there anyone that stands out to you in the, the later picks? Anywhere, I would say, between rounds five and 20, outside of Pratt, of course. Yeah, I, I think those those pitchers there on day two, uh, I really like their picks. I mean, Burchard, you know, the Brewers love a Juco arm. I, I knew one was coming at some point, um, and, and he's got some really good stuff that, that they like. Um, he, I think he could be a solid dude, but I really like the, a couple of those senior signs there uh, to finish out day two. Tate Keener uh, out of Louisville, left-handed pitcher. I mean, he could move fairly quickly. Um, and, and be a reliever at the big league level. I think all those guys really could. Keener, Craig Yoho in the eighth, uh, Mark Manfredi in, in the ninth. Manfredi is also a lefty, uh, so I think that could also play in his favor. But, I mean, those guys got, got some pretty good stuff, and I think you could get some, some big league innings out of them, and I think they could be some really solid relievers for you down the line. Um, and they're 23 years old pretty, pretty much. They're either 22 or 23. They're, they're advanced college arms. they got a lot of experience. Um, and they've got some really good stuff. So they could move through the system fairly quickly uh, and help out the, the big league bullpen. And, and being able to get any sort of big league production out of guys in round seven through 10, uh, I, I think is just really a, a nice bonus um, and just, just some, some good drafting, especially with the high upside that they already got early on. Being able to get some, some production out of senior signs who aren't just picks so that you can save money. I mean, these are legit got legit reliever guys um, that, that can move through the system quickly and, mm -hmm. and be a big help, especially the lefties, uh, just because it's, it's so in demand. I mean, Keener and, and, and then Freddie uh, really kind of, kind of fit that role well. And Craig Yoho has got a, got a full arsenal um, and he's got some good stuff. I think he could end up moving, moving pretty quickly as well. So as we wrap up our draft coverage, I know it's always difficult to give a grade now and not in five or 10 years, but if you were to look at the entirety of the Brewers draft for this year, uh, what grade would you slap on them seeing their, their picks from, from Wilkin to, you know, Pratt and Batanti and some of the, the unheralded later round pitchers? Yeah. I mean, we had our, I wrote my uh, complete draft class grades uh, up at reviewing the brew um shortly after the the draft concluded and and yeah i mean you can't really say until about five years down the road but initially i mean just just based on the guys that were on the board when they were picking and just kind of what we know about these guys right now uh i give this this 
draft class in A. I think it was one of the better draft classes in, in all of baseball, being able to snag uh, Batanti and Pratt in, in the later rounds. Uh, the Brewers were, on, were one of four or five teams that selected five of MLB Pipeline's top 100 players uh, that, that they're going to sign. So, and, and they had one of the later first-round picks of, of, of any of them. The, the only team that had a later first-round pick that had as many uh, top guys was the Mariners, and that's because they had 29, 30, and 22 on top of 22. So they had three picks in the top 30. Um, so that really mm-hmm. kind of played into to the Mariners having that many. But I think the Brewers did an excellent job with this draft. I, I think it unfolded very well. Once that Pratt pick came in, everything really kind of made sense. Um, we could see kind of the bigger picture. So, you know, they got what they needed. You know, they got some corner guys. They, they got some power in the organization. They got some high upside pitching in, in Noth. They got some high upside hitting in, in Pratt and Batanti. Uh, and, and they got some some solid arms to, to bet on to, to be relievers uh, for them in, in a pretty short amount of time. And, you know, maybe some high upside guys that can get on day three like, like a Bishop Letson. They took him in the 11th, which means they might have some hope that they could actually sign him to a deal. Uh, rather than you know Jacob Golston taking him in the seventeenth, that's because they knew they pretty much had had no chance they were going to be able to get him. So I really like this draft class. I, I really do. We'll see how it all unfolds, but but I give them an A, and, and I think they had, they had one of the best drafts of of any team in baseball this year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I think the Brewers' strength hasn't been in developing the top tier first round picks. They haven't had really actually great success on the first rounders, but it's been the mid rounders, the the third to fifth round sleepers. I remember Corbin Burns being considered a sleeper going into that 2016 draft. And that's where they've thrived. They've thrived on Burns in the fourth, Woodruff in the 11th, some of the mid round, mid to late round picks, uh, which this year it seems like they've, they kind of accumulated a nice collection of them rather than putting all their eggs in one basket. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a different style for them. Um, just, you know, not going with, with the high floor guys and and being able to go with, uh, you know, a couple of these, these upside plays. I, I think they got a really good mix of talent at a whole bunch of different ways. And it's going to be a very fun draft class to watch as, as these guys go through. Uh, Pratt and Batanti are probably going to end up being the, the most highly thought of guys, even though Wilkin was the... The number one pick, people are going to pay a lot of attention to him as well. Uh, he's expected to move fairly quickly through the system. The, the Brewers are already going to be starting him in high A, Wisconsin. Um, and we could see him fairly quickly in Milwaukee, especially given the revolving door at third base that the Brewers have. I think he could be up here fairly soon. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the guys that, that could bring the most impact from this class are, are Batanti and Pratt, and, and those are going to be the, the guys to keep an eye on. We really appreciate you coming on to uh, provide your your knowledge on the Brewers draft. You know far more about prospects and the Brewers organization, uh, but also some of these draft picks and I uh, far more than I know. Uh, before we go, where can our fans and our listeners find you on Twitter, your work on reviewing the brew, your your radio show? Where can they find all that? Yeah, uh, so my Twitter is, is at dgasper24. Uh, I got all the links there for, for reviewing the brew, for, for my podcast, for, for my radio show. Um, all those links are, are up there. 
Um, ReviewingTheBrew.com is is where all of our all of our Brewers coverage uh, is at. Um, we've got plenty going on there, so that, that's been uh, fun and, and certainly keeping me busy lately. So, yeah, ReviewingTheBrew.com. Um, I'm at dgasper24 uh, on Twitter, and you can find all the stuff uh, right there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, David. Uh, we look forward to maybe having you on again. Maybe we'll make it an annual thing if you're up for it where we break down the draft. Uh, but we really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Enjoyed being here.